All right, we're going to go ahead and get started. How's everybody tonight? Boy, that wasn't convincing at all. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, how about go ahead and stand with me as we open up in prayer tonight? How many have a prayer request you'll just signify by lifting your hand? Those that are online tonight, thank you for being with us. Glad that you've tuned in. And if you have a need tonight, if you'll just go ahead and comment, we certainly will pray with you as well. Uh, we're honored that you've tuned in tonight as we get into our midweek adult school of the Bible. That sounds really serious, doesn't it? Uh, but glad that you're here tonight. And uh, let's continue praying for, uh, again, I know we have so many needs that uh, uh, people battling with sickness and diff different types of things, but let's continue praying for our nation. Uh, there's just so much that we need God to do. I, I, I'm praying for revival. And, and, and sometimes I wonder praying for revival is actually the right thing. Um, maybe we just need to pray for a sovereign move of God. Uh, I just, you know, I just, I'm burdened for the church. I'm burdened for Christians. And uh, anyway, let's just open up prayer. Father, we love you tonight, and we're so grateful to be able to come together to study your word. Uh, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for a beautiful day that you've given to us, Lord, and all the reminders around us that, uh, Lord, you're a God who pays attention to the details. Lord, I thank you for every flower that blooms and the birds that sing. Lord, just again, a reminder that, uh, Lord, you, you care. And, and I thank you for that. And I thank you that we are privileged to be able to come and bring our petitions and supplications and make them known to you. Uh, tonight, every hand that went up in the building represents a need uh, in our life. And those that have tuned in online tonight represents a need uh, as well. And I pray, Father, no matter what that need is tonight, Lord, we thank you that you are more than enough. Paul said to the church of Ephesus, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that we can call out to you in our time of need. You hear us when we pray. I pray for those tonight that need a physical touch from you. Lord, you've revealed yourself in Scripture as the God who heals. Lord, for those that need provision tonight, Lord, you've revealed yourself as Jehovah Jireh, the providing God. Father, for those that are in chaos tonight, Lord, Lord, those living in conflict, Lord, you, again, have revealed yourself as Jehovah Shalom, our peace. And I pray, Father, that you would just speak that peace into our life. And, Father, for all the ministries that are taking place on the campus tonight, Lord, be exalted and lifted high in all of these things. And I pray, Father, uh, for our nation, uh, Lord, uh, just, just where we are. Lord, we pray. Uh, Lord, we humble ourselves and we pray and we seek your face and we turn back to you, Father. Heal our land. Uh, Lord, bring revival. Bring a sovereign move of your spirit, Lord, and, and, and draw us back to you. Father, I pray that you'll be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit this time and service to you right now. Thank you for all that you do. We declare it in Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. you. may be seated tonight. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say you look good tonight. All right. Go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 3. While you're turning there, a couple of announcements. Don't forget tomorrow is our... Um, Monthly food distribution, uh, we'll be meeting out at the Yellow Jacket Stadium about 9.30 uh, in the morning, and we'll get everything set up. We have food for 200 families. Uh, it is going to be warm. Uh, so we'll have, you know, we'll have water and, and uh, stuff out there to help protect, but wear sunscreen, wear a hat. Um, if you don't have one, I've got an Alabama hat you're more than welcome to. Help me get the word out. Roll Tide. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, now, we're going to do that, and, and again, what a, what a great treat it is. Somebody asked me last time, said, are y'all going to be giving out food during the, during the summer? And I said, well, don't you get hungry during the summer? And they kind of smiled, and I said, yeah, we're, we're going to be out here. We're here to serve people, and uh, so we're going to do that. Um, also want to toss this out to you, a couple things. Um, on May the 20th, I believe that's, that's Friday week, isn't that the 20th? Anyway, whatever Friday week is, I think it's the 20th, we're going to be doing a shredded day. Uh, we've done that before. If you say, what in the world is a shredded day? Well, how many of you have boxes of old tax returns from about 15, 20, 30 years ago? Uh, well, so this is what you do with them. You bring them up here. We've got a company that will come in with their massive shred truck, uh, documents that you don't want, uh, that you don't want to throw into the, uh, into the trash uh, so we're going to be doing a shredded day uh, from 10 to 12. We'll post it online, but I believe 10 to 12 that day. So we'll we'll be able to host it for the community. People can bring all their documents and stuff like that that they don't want to discard in the trash. They can bring it up here, and it will be shredded for them. 
uh, right here on site. So that's going on. Uh, also, don't forget the last Sunday of May is the 29th, and so we're going to be doing our fifth Sunday fellowship. We haven't done that since pre-COVID, uh, and this is a time, if you're new in our church family, uh, those tuned in on, online as well, uh, this is the time we'll get together that evening, uh, I think uh, 5 o'clock, 5.30, uh, I don't know what they advertise, so I can't really say, uh, and and we'll bring games and, and, and snacks, and we'll just have a time of fellowship. You know, the, the three F's, the fun, the food, and the fellowship. And so we'll have a good time doing that. And, and that's, that's such a wonderful time to be able to meet other people and build some relationships. Sundays are very difficult to do that. Uh, you get to build relationships with people except the ones that are playing chicken foot because, again, they cheat. So uh, <laughs> stay away from the chicken foot tables and you'll be all right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, and then the last, last thing I'm going to say before I get right into our Bible study uh, some weeks ago, a few weeks back, I had mentioned that our mission trip this year was going to be to the Bahamas, and I had worked uh, back before the massive uh, hurricane that hit in 2019. I'd gone down shortly after that with the a national team and did some assessment there on all the islands. Uh, there was a project there that we were going to adopt and go and work on uh, this year. However, I got a, got a note from Springfield uh, a couple weeks back, and obviously you see the news and you know what's going on in Europe, particularly uh, Ukraine, the war that's going on there. Well, there, there's a desperate need uh, for some work to be done in Poland to help the refugees, uh, the Ukrainian refugees coming over into Poland. So AGWM, Builders International, has a building that they're trying to convert to apartments, uh, and to be able to house. It's kind of an urgent thing that they sent out an appeal. So I talked to the team, and, uh, and, and long story, so we decided we're going to go to Poland to help get this facility ready uh, for um, these refugees. Uh, it's, it's a major push right now. Between now and October, we're going to be going in September. And, all, and the reason I'm tossing it out to you is uh, I, I know sometimes people say, Pastor, I wish I would have known we would have liked to have contributed to the project. There is a project specific to that. Uh, I'll post the, the information, but if, if the Lord moves on you over the next couple of months, if you would like to donate to that project, uh, please feel free to do so. That will go right to this project there in, uh, in Poland, and it will help those refugees. So anyway, that's kind of what's going on. Um, let's get right into our teaching tonight. Uh, we're continuing on our series, uh, Strength and Weakness. We've been looking at... Uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And tonight's message is entitled, Never Go Back. <laughs> Smartwatches and a dumb operator. <laughs> um, sorry, I had a, a gnat, I think. I swallowed a gnat. I think, what's that old song? Swallowed a gnat? Swallowed a spider? I don't know. Anyway, so let's read. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 3, let's look at verse number 7. Now, I, now some of this stuff is kind of confusing. It's kind of like, remember when we did through Romans, when we read through Romans and I studied, we did one chapter 1 through 4 and then 5 through 8, and I said, this is, a, this is heavy stuff. Sometimes it's very confusing. Uh, this letter here is a little bit confusing as well. Paul brings in a lot of different elements, uh, and, and so tonight is one of those readings. It says, but if the ministry, verse number 7, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how would the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. And we'll stop there. Everybody pick up what he was saying? Yeah, so may the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Let me just jump right into this uh, by, by saying this. How many of you enjoy taking a trip down memory lane? Any, anybody here besides me? I, I, I really enjoy. I really enjoy going down memory lane. So I was born in Mobile, Alabama, 1965, 
And every time I go back to uh, back home, there are places that I have to go. I don't, I don't know about you. If you have places that you've traveled or places you're familiar with, maybe your home for, if your home is a different place, there are places I have to go. Uh, and 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 again, there's nothing other than nostalgia. There's nothing about it. In fact, a lot of people, a lot of my people at home think I'm nuts because one of the places, if I regardless of whether I fly or drive. One of the first places I stopped, there's a hamburger joint in Mobile called Crystal. Now, if you're familiar with White Castle, it's similar to White Castle. Little small square hamburgers, and really, they would never win a contest. But there's something about those hamburgers that I just, every time I'm there, I have to stop and get a Crystal hamburger. And, and they laugh at me because, you know, they live there, and they don't, you know, you know, but there are things. I, there are places that I drive by that I, are familiar to me, and I like to go by and see how things have changed. Um, you know, there, there are things that bring back memories. I enjoy. I enjoy remembering. I enjoy remembering the fun times, and, and I even like some of the lessons I learned. How many can go back to places that you remember a pretty powerful lesson that you learned in the past? Uh, I enjoy doing that. Uh, I collect, some of you know this, I collect uh, old memorabilia, things like uh, these old porcelain signs that you would find at a gas station on the, on the gas pump. They're the 12-inch the ones. I can't afford the big ones, <laughs> but the 12-inch ones. Uh, I, I'm just fascinated by the artwork. I've got one from 1918, and you look at it, and it's absolutely beautiful. And you think, man, these, these people did this without the aid of computers. It was all by hand. And if you know anything about porcelain, it was layered on one layer at a time. And that just fascinates me. So I, I, I'm intrigued by old things. When I had my 51 Ford, uh, I have seller's remorse because I, I, I just loved that truck. It was just so unique, and the character of it, it's just, it was incredible. You know, I like to look at uh, the vintage stuff, and, and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by all that kind of stuff. Here's the thing, though. While it's nice to reminisce, okay, and I would encourage people to remember. Remember what it was like. Remember certain things. Here's the thing. We can't dwell there, though. I remember one time I had a classmate. I uh, was traveling back when my dad was still living, and I had visited with my, I was with my father, and one of my classmates wanted to have lunch. And so she was my, also my neighbor, my next-door neighbor. And, and so I said, okay, let's, let's go have lunch. And we uh, went to have lunch, and she's sitting there, and she's telling me kind of her life story since I had left Mobile. And she mentioned something about wanting to rekindle a romance with somebody that she was with in high school. And she said, what do you think about that? And me just being me, I said, well, I think there was probably a reason why it didn't work out in the first place. Don't you think that maybe that reason is still viable today? Uh, you know, again, it's nice to remember, but we don't dwell there. And see, nostalgia can be very deadly to our faith. Again, you think about the children of Israel when they came out of Egyptian bondage. Remember uh, when they got into the wilderness. And remember, God had established the fact that he brought them out to bring them in. In other words, the stated purpose of God was to get them out of Egypt into the promised land. That was his stated purpose. And yet, when they get out into the wilderness, the very first thing they do when they run, against, run up against the Red Sea and the armies of Egypt coming up behind, the very first thing they do is what? They start lamenting about how God had brought them out into the wilderness to kill them. And then they get on the other side. God delivers. They get on the other side, and all of a sudden they become thirsty, and they become hungry. And then they start saying things like, well, would to God we would have died back in Egypt. At least we had onions and melons and leeks and stuff like that. Nostalgic faith. If we're not careful, we can do the same thing. Sometimes we think, man, I remember the good old days. I remember when... Sister so-and-so, we get up on the piano, and our brother so-and-so would do this, and we live like that. But we don't dwell there. You know, it's nice to remember, but we don't dwell there. There's always the temptation to look back and imagine things were much better than they actually were. I don't know about you, but sometimes I look back, and there are things that I can imagine that are better, that were, you know, I imagine them being better than what they actually were. And I think that's a problem with nostalgia. See, remembering the past is important because we never want to forget who we are and where we come from, but living there in our minds, living in the past can be very deadly to our spiritual health and well-being. 
See, if we spend too much time yearning for the past, we may miss God's blessings in the present. And that's kind of what Paul deals with in, in our text tonight. So what we do is we end up dreaming about what used to be instead of giving thanks for what is. We think about how, God, how it used to be, how wonderful the services were and, and how this was and how this was. And if, we don't get, and if we're not careful, we can get stuck there and fail to see the blessings of God right now, right at this moment. So, and, and I think the enemy knows this, and he uses our, our, our fuzzy memories of yesterday to trip us up spiritually. Because, again, he's out there to try to snare us. That's what the Bible says. He's, he wants to snare us. And so he, uh, if he can only get us yearning for what used to be, he can distract us from what God has given us right now and what God is doing. Listen, I rejoice. In my 29 years of pastoring here, I can remember some incredible moves of God. I rejoice in those things, but I don't linger there because God's doing something today. He's doing something today. And if, I, and if I'm always comparing to what God used to be and what God used to do, then I'm going to miss what he's doing right now. And that applies for a church. It applies for us as individuals. And, and so in this chapter, again, remember chapter 3, Paul is addressing there, there was a faction of people that had gotten together to, to, to sow division within the church. And so there was a group of false teachers that had come along in the Corinthian church, and they'd convinced, they, they were convincing the Corinthian believers of the good old days. They were actually talking about the glory of Moses' day. Uh, they spoke so much of the law of Moses that, that Christ had somehow been diminished in their eyes. And, and so that's really what Paul's addressing in our, in our text tonight. Um, it, Christ had become diminished because these false teachers were going around and elevating the law. They were talking about how glorious and how wonderful the law of Moses was, and, and again, kind of dissing, if you will, Christ and what he had done in the present. And so Paul uh, is replying to these false teachers. That's what he's doing in our text tonight. He's, he's doing a comparison, and, and the interesting thing is when you look at the narrative there, nowhere does he denigrate Moses. He, he doesn't lash out at the law, and he doesn't denigrate the law whatsoever. He addresses how you and I should view things of the past. So what does he say? Well, regarding our past, number one, we should be grateful for our blessings, right? But also thankful because Jesus gives us so much more in the present. What he does right now is more glorious. Remember what Joel says? He said that God would restore everything that the palmer worm, the canker worm, the worm, the caterpillar hath taken. And, and he goes on and says, and the glory of the what? The latter will be greater than that of the former. So, so that's kind of how Paul approaches this with these uh, false teachers trying to elevate the law of Moses and diminishing what the significance of Christ. The interesting thing is that when we read that text, I, I don't know if you paid attention, but notice how many times the words glory and glorious are used in there. I mean, in five verses, uh, those two words show up ten times. That's pretty significant. In five verses, he uses the word glory or glorious ten times. So if the, false, if, if the false teacher said the law is glorious, then Paul says, but what Jesus gives us is more glorious. What you're saying is Moses, the law of Moses was glorious. Well, what Jesus gives us today is more glorious. Again, it's not, it's not bad versus good. It is good versus better. That's Paul's approach to this. It's not bad versus good. It's just good versus better. Uh, so what Jesus, brings, uh, what Jesus brings us in the gospel is better than every way. So how is it better? How is it better? Well, Paul gives us three answers or three arguments uh, uh, the, uh, for the superiority of the new covenant. Number one, uh, he argues life instead of death. Life instead of death. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says, now if the ministry that brought death, again, he's referring back to the law. If the ministry that brought death, which was engraved on letters, in letters on stone, what's that? The law. If it came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? Again, Paul is, how many has ever heard somebody say, if, if, if somebody comes and asks a question, turn it around and ask them a question. 
Paul's saying, look, if, if, if the ministry that brought death, if this was glorious, if the law was glorious, fading as it is, what we have in the Spirit is much more glorious. Is it not? See, when Paul writes to the Galatians, you might remember when he's writing to the Galatians, he wanted them to understand that the law, okay, the, Moses, the Ten Commandments, the law could not save them. That's what he says in Galatians. See, by giving us a set of, set of standards, it tells us what is right and what is wrong, but it cannot inspire us to be obedient. See, that's the fallacy of the law. It can tell me what's wrong, but it doesn't motivate me to obey it, right? In fact, the law by itself arouses within us the desire to disobey. I've used this analogy before, but I'll say it again. When I walk downtown Cleburne, when I walk around the square down there, and I see these shops and businesses and what have you, and they have all these plate glass windows, I've never seen one sign down there that says, do not throw rocks at the windows. You know why? Because if there was a sign there, somebody throw rocks at the windows. Because the law, the speed limit says 35. Right? We say, I can't drive 55, I mean 35. <laughs> we, we say, we, what we say is I'll go two miles an hour over. Why? Because the speed limit said 35. The law arouses disobedience. I mean, it, it happens. You, you think about when you raise your children. You say, don't, you da- don't go and get that cookie. Guess what? They're going to go get that cookie. Why? Because your prohibition aroused in them the desire to be disobedient. <laughs> you know, again, if there was a sign downtown, I promise you, they would, the, the window people here in town would be swamped because somebody would be throwing rocks. I mean, think about it like this. Suppose you're walking along on a sidewalk and you see a sign on the bench that says, wet paint, do not touch. What do you do? Yeah, most people, most people will touch it. I don't know why we do that. We just, we just touch it. I mean, it's like there's this some compulsion. It's just something inside of us that just we can't stand being told no. Don't touch it. We touch it. And, and the thing is, the irony is, if there had been no sign, we'd have never thought anything about it. But because there was a sign there, it aroused the temptation to be disobedient. See, again, the temptation to touch that freshly painted bench was awakened by the sign that said, do not touch. The question is, is the law bad? No. The law is good. Is the law weak? (laughs) Absolutely. In the sense that it only addresses our outward behavior. See, the law can tell me what's wrong. It can't motivate me to do what's right. That's the fallacy of it. And see, that's what Paul is saying. Look, you're telling me that the law of Moses was glorious, and I'm saying it was, and it's fading, but what we have in the Spirit is much more glorious. Why? Because the law says don't, and, we, and, and, and we're aroused to disobey, but through the Spirit, not only does he say don't, but then he empowers us not to. See, that's the great thing about our faith in Christ is that, when, again, a lot of people have this misunderstanding. They think that religion is all about do's and don'ts. And if that's the way you look at Christianity, you got the wrong, you're reading the wrong stuff. I mean, there are some things that we, obviously, as Christians, there are some standards that we need to uphold and we need to live by. And the motivation is when we are born again, Jesus, does, Jesus doesn't give us a list of thou shalt's and thou shalt nots. He just simply says now, you know, he, just, he, he says you're a work in progress, and he doesn't just say now I want you to transform. He empowers us to be transformed. He gives us the resources. That's the difference. That's what Paul is trying to say. See, the law from, that, the, the law from Mount Sinai shouts, thou shalt not, but it cannot compel me to obey its demands. It leaves me locked up in disobedience as a repeat offender, and, and, and it lacks the power. See, the ministry of death, if this ministry of death, that's what Paul says, so manifested the glory of God, verse 8 asks the question, will not the spirit, the ministry of the Spirit be far more glorious? If this thing, this ministry of death, if this law 
that you cannot obey because it doesn't empower you to obey was glorious, then would it not stand to reason that the Spirit that gives us the ability to do is much more glorious? The second point that he makes, again, it's life. Uh, first, the first part is life instead of death. The second point is righteousness, not condemnation. Righteousness, not condemnation. Look at verse 9. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Okay, well, that's another mouthful. It's kind of strange to think about it. The ministry that condemns men is glorious. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't like to walk around with condemnation. I mean, that's kind of an icky feeling, right? Guilt is a bad thing. Condemnation's a bad thing. So how is this glorious? How can condemnation be glorious? Well, Paul basically is making the argument, since the law comes from God, even my breaking it proves the rightness of the law. In other words, by me breaking it shows that the law was necessary. I'm condemned not for doing right. I'm condemned for doing wrong. And here's the thing. The law was not given for the purpose of salvation. Never was. The Ten Commandments were not given for the purpose of salvation. There is no salvation through obedience to the law. The law produces what? Only one thing, condemnation. That's all it produces. It reveals bondage to an unpayable debt. So the law upholds God's glory by punishing those who do not meet his righteous demands. And again, that's all the law can do. That's why Paul said it was a fading glory. Because it can't uphold the righteousness of God. Listen, when you and I come to Christ, what does the Bible say? The Bible says we are clothed with his righteousness. See, the law reveals our inadequacies and inability to be righteous. That's what he's saying here. All the law can do, it leaves us condemned and it leaves us guilty. And that's where the gospel comes in. You see, because what the law could not do, Christ has done for us. See, that's the good news of the gospel. You know, today we want to, the, the way the modern church wants to evangelize, uh, you know, we just want to tell people turn or burn or whatever, you know, uh, but, but seeing sin from the eyes of, of, of God is, the way, is, is how we, we let them know that they're sinners. They, we're all born in sin, shaped in iniquity, and they need to see the ineptness that they have in relation to the righteous standard of God. And without God, we can't do it. See, what the law could not do, Christ has already done for us. So when I stand before him, it's not me standing on my merit. It's me standing in what he's already done, accomplished. You see, trying to keep rules only produces guilt, and it kind of leaves us dead in the road. But through Christ, what does Paul say? If any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a what? A new creation. Once we come to Christ, we're a brand new person. And here's the thing, we can never go back to the old person we used to be, and who would want to? Who would want to? If we tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then there's no appeal to what we left. You know, that's why I can say in 1985 in that barracks in San Antonio, Texas, when I rededicated my life to the Lord, from that day forward, I, I made a change that time, and I've never looked back. Why, why would I? You know, up to that point, from 65 to 85, I lived a standard that the world said was necessary. I found pleasure. I did these things. I did this. I did that. I did all of the things that the world said would help me find meaning and purpose in life, and it left me empty and shortchanged. But when I found Christ, when, or he found me, I should say, and I rededicated my life to the Lord, things changed. And I can look back and see that, but I don't want to go back. Because Christ has done for me what I could not do for myself. See, the law demands, but it gives me no power to obey. But through Jesus Christ, I'm made new. And I'm empowered to be who he called me to be. The third thing he says, it's permanent, not temporary. Permanent, not temporary. Again, sometimes we get bogged down, and, and I think some, and that's why I like to use Wednesday night as we call it our adult school of the Bible, because I want to break these things down, because there's some significant teachings that Paul, you know, Romans, I mean, if you had the book of Romans, that's, you have enough to be saved. You know, it's such an incredible thing, and we break it down so that we can understand what's going on. Uh, again, Paul here is talking about permanent, not, not temporary, verses 10 and 11. He said, for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. 
And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Did you get that? Which lasts. See, the law of Moses is fading away. It can't do anything but tell me what I'm doing wrong. Can't empower me to change. Can't motivate me to change. But through the gospel, through Christ, because he did what I could not do, now that glory is surpassing. It's, if this transient temporary ministry of death, that's what Paul calls it, ministry of death was glorious, will not the permanent and continuous ministry of the Spirit be more glorious? And the answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. Again, why would anyone want to go back? Why would anyone want to change this life for that old life, for the way it used to be? Like I said, one of the, one of the ploys of the enemy, I, I truly believe, is he likes to get us to focus on what we, what we miss. You know, most people, if you say something about their faith, they say, well, you know, and they start naming things. Well, if you're a Christian, then you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't go here, you can't go there. And they start listing it as a bunch of rules and regulations of things that you cannot do. And so you got to understand, that's, that's, that's how the enemy operates. He wants you to focus on negative. Listen, there are things as a Christian we should not do, and there are places we should not go. Again, our lives now, we're not our own. The Bible says we are bought with a price. So there are things that we should not do. You know, and today we get so caught, I don't want to go there, but we get so caught up in our rights. No, you're bought with a price. That's what the Bible says. We're not our own. We belong to him. But there are things that we can't do in places we can't, we can't go and such and such. But that's not the focus. See, the enemy wants us to focus on what we give up, but he never lets us see what we gain. And see, that's what, that's what the ministry of the Spirit, that's why it's, it's glorious, is because what we gain so far outweighs what we give up. So what if I live in this life a life of restriction, if you will? What if I say no to things that, that I, my flesh wants? What if, I, what if I do all of that? Well, look what I gain over here. You know, see, the, the Scripture says, I have not seen Ear hath not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So, in other words, the, the, very, the, the most that I give up here is not even worth comparing to what I gain from over here. But, see, the enemy doesn't teach us that. He doesn't want us to see that. He always gets us, well, you know, you're a bunch of old fuddy-duds. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't go here. Be careful about that. That's what he's doing. He's, he's playing that shell game. He doesn't want you to see what you gain. Again, Paul's saying, look, that transient temporary ministry of death, as it were, it was glorious. But if it was, then how much more is this permanent and continuous ministry of the Spirit? How much more glorious is it? Like I said, before, uh, you think about this. I, I mentioned this, I think it was last week, uh, talking about when the Dallas Mavericks won the NBA championship in 2011. You know, what happens when they win a championship? They throw this parade, right? Uh, you know, they Everybody, you know, the, the town shuts down, and everybody has this party. Everybody, you know, it's the home team, and they're part of us. You know, we, uh, we talk about the Cowboys, and we, and we every year, you know, people that are Cowboy fans, they say, well, this is our year. Well, they're not playing. They're not out there tackling anybody. They're not out there catching passes and running the ball, but it's the home team. <coughs> so it's our team. So we're going to do this this year. Uh, so they're part of us. And, and, again, there's nothing like – a championship parade. Again, I, I made fun of Dirk Nowinski because him trying to sing We Are the Champions. I won't ever forget that because it was the worst thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> but it was, a cel it was celebratory. It was a celebration because they won the championship. But here's the thing. If you lose, guess what? There is no parade. <laughs> if you lose, there is no parade. In fact, if you lose, so, so think of this. If you win and you're traveling, then when you land at home, Guess what? There's people there. And what are they doing? They're cheering as you come down the, uh, as you come off the plane, walk down the stairs. There are people out there. They're cheering and rooting and way to go. And we are the champions and all this kind of stuff. But if you lose, you fly home, there's nobody there to meet you. You lost. Nobody there to welcome you home. You ever, you ever wonder, you ever wonder what happens to the, uh, you know, you ever wondered how, the winning team always seemed to have the T-shirts ready to go. I mean, just as soon as they win, they're wearing their hats and said, we are the champions. 
Well, it's because the NFL orders two sets of shirts and hats, and they're ready. And that way, whichever team wins, then they bring out their, their championship clothing items. And you know what happens to the losing team? Their clothing items, they're donated to third world countries. That's the truth. I was in Cuba several years ago, and a guy in the, in the church in Havana, I kid you not, walked up to me, and he had a championship shirt on from a team that lost the Super Bowl. <laughs> I just kind of chuckled at that. I, I'm, not, I'm not denigrating that. That's, that's not what I'm doing. I just thought it was amusing. Because if you're the champions, you get clothing in stores, department stores, and sports shops. But if you're a loser, they ship it overseas for other people to wear because they don't know the difference. The point is this. Even when you win, though, and this is my whole point, you look back at 2011 when Mavericks won the, the, the NBA title, we say things like today, well, that was a long time ago. They, what have they done? It's kind of like, what have you done for me lately? Right? So even when you win, the glory fades eventually. And we talk about the Cowboys and back in the 90s, there you know, were three Super Bowls, and, but that's been a long time ago. And the glory of those trophies has faded. I know they dust them off in the, at the Jerry's house, but I'm just, they, it's faded. You know, early on in the, early in the 1970s, the, Dallas Cowboys had a star running back by the name of Dwayne Thomas. And Dwayne was quite unpredictable when he played ball. One year, uh, the Cowboys made it to the Super Bowl, and during, that, during the, you know, the big push towards the game, he was in an interview, and he was asked what he thought about playing in the ultimate game, okay, Super Bowl. He said, they asked him, said, what, Dwayne, what do you think about playing in this ultimate game? Here's what he said to them. He said, if this is the ultimate game, why do they play it again next year? But what, the point being, it fades. You're a champion this year, you lose out next year, and it just fades and it fades and it fades. That's kind of what Paul said, fading glory. That's what he's talking about, fading glory. In Jesus Christ, we have something that lasts for eternity. The law was temporary. The law came to, to let us know that we were transgressing. The law could not save us. The law just aroused the desire to disobey, but it couldn't do anything beyond that until Jesus Christ stepped in. And now what he does for us, it's permanent. It lasts. Again, uh, that's the whole point of the new covenant. See, God now, instead of writing his law on tablets of stone, what does the Bible say? He writes them on the fleshly tablets, tablets of our heart. It stays. That's why Hebrews 10, verse 18 says, where these, where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. What does he mean? It means, look, if you've, if you've confessed, there's no need to try to do, to do anything else because the blood of Jesus Christ washes and cleanses us of sin. If you've done that, there's no longer any reason for sacrifice. No longer any reason. See, one of the great battles that you and I face today is guilt. The enemy loves to feed us with, and beat us down with guilt over something we did last year or 10 years ago or whatever. But in Christ... There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because what he does lasts. It lasts. This is how Paul answers those who suffered with that spiritual nostalgia and they wanted to go back to the law. Paul basically is saying, are you nuts? I mean, that, that would be my terminology today. If, if Paul was right, I think Paul would say, are you kidding me? Are you nuts? I mean, do you really understand what you're saying? You want to go back to the law after what Christ has done for us? You were dead, and now you're alive. That's what he would say to them. You were dead, now, now you're alive. You were condemned, now you're forgiven. This isn't something that fades over time. It's yours forever through Jesus Christ. Why would you want to give that up? Sometimes I see people, and again, pastoring here for 29 years, I've seen people come in and, and like, a, like an explosive uh, 
you know, a flash in the pan, then boom, they're ready and out of the gate, and then they just fade away, and you never hear from them again. You think, what in the world? Why would you go back? Why would you turn your back on what he has done? Again, the ministry of the old covenant where lawbreakers were condemned, it faded away with the coming of Christ. That's why you and I are free. We're free from that because there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The ministry of the new covenant is carried out by the power of the Spirit. It gives people a right standing before God, and it will endure because it will never be replaced by another. Think about that. That's why when Jesus died on the cross, was buried, rose again three days later, 40 days after that he ascended to the right hand of the Father, what does the Bible say that he did? He sat down. Why did he sit down? Because the work was done. The work was done. There was, there's nothing else to be done. Why would we want to trade that? Why would we want to go back to the old way? Here's, here's Paul, and I love how he does this. Here's Paul's application of this, verse 12. Therefore, because of all of this, because the glory of the first covenant is fading to the everlasting glory of the new covenant, because of that, therefore, since we have this hope, what hope? That the glory will remain forever. We, I love this. We are very bold. You say, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, literally in the Greek, that phrase, we are very bold, means freedom of speech. That's what it means, freedom of speech. There, the other versions kind of translate a little bit different. Uh, the King James says, we use great plainness of speech. Uh, the Message Bible paraphrases it like this, nothing holds us back. Amplified Bible says, we speak very freely, openly, and fearlessly. J.B. Phillips, I like how he renders it in the Phillips translation. He says, with this hope in our hearts, we are, qu we are quite frank and open in our ministry. I like that. With this hope in our heart, what hope? That what Christ has done is enough. That what Christ has done is enough. If we have that hope in our heart, then we are quite frank and we're open with our ministry. You know, 2 Corinthians 3 is, it's a little bit difficult. I mean, really, when you read it, you got all these references to Moses and the Ten Commandments and the fading glory of the old system, and, and you think, you know, does that really have anything to do with me in 2022? And the answer is, yeah, it does. It does if and it's a big one, if the hope of the gospel is firmly planted in your heart. If it is, then this has everything to do with you. See, if you know it, if you understand it, if you believe it, if, you, if that truth grips your heart, then the thing is you'll never be the same again. That's why I always say, listen, if you, if you come down to an altar or wherever you are and you, you, you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior and you don't change, you've not had a true encounter with Christ. Because when you have a true encounter with Christ, you can't remain the same. Again, it doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. That's one of, the, one of the big objections that many people in the world have against the church is that there are people today that want to parade around like they're bigger and better than anybody else. Not so. Not so. We're redeemed. Born again. But we're sinners saved by grace. That's the only thing that differentiates me. It's a big differentiation. I understand that. But it doesn't make me better than anybody else. But if I have that hope in my heart, I'll never be. I can't be the same. I can't be the same. You know, when we were talking about going to Poland in September, I, when Sheila and I lived in Europe back in the 80s, early 90s, um, do you know Europe was considered a Christian continent back in the day? You know, one of the things that always attracted me uh, when we would travel uh, there in Europe, we, uh, you know, living there, obviously, we, we, when I wasn't deployed, we had opportunity to travel to different places. And, again, one of the things that's always amazed me is it doesn't matter the size of the, of the city. Like, you can go to Frankfurt right now, and in the middle of Old Town Frankfurt, huge cathedrals. If you're out in the middle of a, of a, of a sugar beet field, out down south towards Stuttgart, somewhere down in that area, Heidelberg, 
if you come over a hill and you see off in the distance a village, a little small town, guess what's going to be parked right in the middle? A cathedral. Everywhere. Signs of religion, signs of the faith of the past. Europe today has become a post-Christian land. The glory has faded, and now the light is very, very dim, if not out. I don't think it's out altogether. God always has a remnant. I read not long ago that there's been several times, and it may have passed, I don't know, but in the European Union, they were actually trying, there was a group of people trying to pass a bill that would make evangelism an illegal activity. That it would be illegal for you to share your faith in, in, in that community. And, and, and it may have passed, I don't know, but there was, a, there was a doctor, a story I read about a doctor who actually uh, told a patient that had come in to see him that was very distraught over some issues, and he just simply said to her, don't worry, God loves you. And because of that, he, became, he, he came under investigation. He was grilled, interrogated for eight hours by a medical board, and they're not certain that he's going to be allowed to get his license back to practice medicine simply because he said, don't worry, God loves you. The glory of systems, man-made systems, fade over time. You know, it's easy today to look around and see that, listen, again, we can talk about what's going on over there, but I promise you it's happening in many places right here in the United States of America. I, I'm not going to give you examples because you know examples all over the place. There, there are people being persecuted because of their faith. It's happening. Not because they're bad people, but because they have standards that they don't want to deviate from. They have convictions. fading. You think back to our history. I mentioned this before, and I got to hurry him close. I can remember reading in, in books how in New York City back years ago, many years ago, they would shut down the entire city of New York City at lunchtime for prayer meetings. Man, can you imagine that? That's history. They would shut down and have prayer meetings in New York City. So, so I, I think all of this, as I bring this in to close tonight, I think all of this means we really need this strong theology that Paul lays down in 2 Corinthians 3 so that we can be ready when our time comes. Because there will be factions, maybe not within the church, maybe so, but at least within the community that are going to denigrate the faith that you and I hold dearly. And Paul says, that's what Paul's argument is to this faction. You're talking about the faded glory. You know, there, will get, there will be people that will rise up in these days and say that, you know, we're more educated, we're more advanced than previous generations. We don't need that anymore. Paul says, the glory of the law faded, but what we have in Christ is permanent. It does not fade away. And we need to hear that. And we need to be anchored in that. See, what God has given you and I in Christ far surpasses anything the world has to offer us so that we ought to be very bold in our witness for Christ. We ought to be. We ought to be a light that shines. You know, I look for every day. My prayer, I, I pray when we dismiss on Sundays, I pray this every day. Lord, put someone in my pathway today that I can share the love of Christ with. And, and some days, it, some days it's, a, it's, a, it's a verbal conversation. Some days when I'm at the gym, somebody will come in and they'll strike up a conversation uh, with me that will eventually get round to something in the church or something about faith. Sometimes it's just a matter of doing a random act of kindness for somebody and just saying, hey, man, God bless you, man. God loves you. But I always look for opportunities. May we be so bold. May we be so bold. Do you, as I close, do you have this hope in your heart? See, this has nothing to do with religious handles. See, we get so caught up in the Baptist, Catholic, Mennonite, Lutheran, Apostolic, Methodist, Presbyterian, you know, whatever, Church of God, Assembly of God. That has nothing to do with that. Do you have this hope of permanency in your heart through Christ? If you do, then rest on the fact that it doesn't change. This is my third one, so I'm closing. <laughs> this hope is strong enough to live by and it's strong enough to die by. 
See, that's what gives me great comfort right here. When I hear, when, when you and I near the end, the words that Jesus spoke to, the, to the, uh, the thief on the cross, remember what he said? He said, today you will be with me where? In paradise. I love, there are three parts to that promise. Today, with me, in paradise. That's the hope that I have in my heart. We tend to focus on the, the first part and the last part, but I like that middle part, with me. With me. See, what makes heaven heaven is Jesus is going to be there. The one who did all for us without any guarantee that we would ever receive. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us so that we'd have everlasting life. That's living hope. It's hope that's solid, strong. It's so strong that even death itself could not destroy. That's why if you go back through the book of martyrs, you go back and you read you know, every one of the apostles, the 12, the 12 uh, except John, died of martyrdom. Why? Because they had hope in their heart that even death itself could not take away. Then you go down through church history and you look at all the martyrs of the faith. And uh, the one that always sticks out to me is Polycarp, who at 85 years of age being burned at the stake and said, God, all you got to do is renounce your faith and you will not be, you'll not die. And he's like, why would I do that now? He's never done anything but be good to me. You know, and he dies with the flames burning him. You just don't get that unless you have that hope inside of you. Today, right now, there are more people being martyred for their faith in the world than ever any other time in the history of the world. It's happening right now. There are play, people, uh, we did a series right here on Wednesday night, I am in. There are places in the Middle East right now, if you identify as a Christian, you are taken out immediately. You're either stoned or beheaded. You have faith. If you come into your family and confess that you're a Christian uh, and they're, they're Muslim, they will disown you if they don't kill you. And they will say, we have no more son. We have no more daughter. But they have the hope in them. Because what Christ gives is permanent. Won't you stand with me tonight? Again, don't get bogged down in all the theological language that Paul writes about. There's some powerful things there. What Christ offers to us is so much better than anything we've ever experienced before. And you see, here's the thing. You'll never experience that if you just dabble with it. So that's the problem with a lot of converts today is they want to dabble in religion. They don't want a relationship with Jesus. If you'll get a relationship with Jesus, you'll find, you'll, you'll find that there's, you know, what did we sing that song Sunday? Uh, there's no one like him. No one, not another one like him. Won't you bow with me as we close in prayer tonight? How many of you this morning as we close in prayer would just simply say, Pastor, you know what, pray for me. I, I, I want that hope in my heart. I want that hope. Just write up and write back down. Amen, amen, amen. We're going to pray. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we'll pray with you as well. Father, tonight I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you for uh, the Apostle Paul and his experiences, Lord, that's so inspiring to us. And I pray that, Lord, as Paul tried to just bring those contrasts to life, that in, in the old system, the old law, it was glorious because it revealed you, but that was it. It was a fading thing. It, it, it had no ability to motivate us to change or to obey. It just brought condemnation. But in the new system, the new covenant through Christ, we have everything that we need to live as more than conquerors. I pray, Father, for each and every one of us here that this hope would be in our hearts. It's hope of permanency, Lord, that this it came to last. It won't fade away and it'll not be replaced by another. And or no matter the opposition that, that will rear itself in these closing hours of humanity, Lord, it doesn't change the fact, Lord, you are forever settled in heaven and on earth and in our hearts. And I pray that we walk out of here with that confidence tonight that no weapon formed against us will prosper. And any that rise up against us will fall. Lord, may we rest comfortably knowing those things. And I pray, God, that you will give us as we go a wonderful, restful evening. And should you tarry, bring us again on Sunday. I pray you'll be with us tomorrow as we uh, give out food and we are Jesus with skin on to those that need that in our community, Lord. I pray that we would, Lord, that we would be an answer to someone's prayer tomorrow. And I pray, God, that uh, you bring us on Sunday, even now, ordain what you're going to do. I ask you to go with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.
Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over it. 